0: This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, Episode 1, with guest Katherine Bischoff. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and Welcome. The show is recorded in Germany's most thriving city, Berlin. And for the very first episode, I was really lucky to have Catherine Bishop. She has experience working in France, Canada and the United States. And yet you would call her a true Berliner as she experienced the city in depth in the last decade. Three years ago, Catherine joined Factory Berlin as a chief relationship officer. And she has been working with founders, investors, academics and other stakeholders to develop programs for Germany's fast changing global economy. Catherine is the author of her own achievements, and in this episode, you will learn what it means to be a chief relationship officer and hear Catherine's advice on what it takes to become a successful founder. So with that, here's my conversation with Catherine Bischoff. Catherine, it's a great pleasure to welcome you in this cozy Full Notes studio in the heart of Kreuzberg, Berlin. Thank you so much for joining me and finding time. Thank you for having me. I'm actually very excited about this. And That's perfect. And speaking of Berlin, I would like us to take a moment and to time travel to Berlin of 2006, because this was your first time experiencing the city and also living in the city. What was it like then and also what made this decision, why did you make this decision to move here?
1: I was living in Munich at the time, I had moved to Munich in 99, Um, I was working at the International Basketball Federation and then I transitioned to uh, the consumer business and worked for Estee Lauder company, so very corporate jobs and one day a friend of mine from university who I had studied with at, at McGill called me and said, listen, um, I'm building out an international presence and, and growth uh, hub for this Canadian company, Canadian-American company in Berlin. It's the place to be. You don't want to move to Paris or London, anywhere. You need to move to Berlin. This is the time and the place for Berlin. And I was like, well, it wasn't on my agenda or radar at all. I really wanted to to leave Germany at that point. But I came up for a, a few days and I was completely blown away by the energy here, and the creativity, and it just felt like the city was on the cusp of something really, really big. And uh, I, I thought, okay, A, environment is really important for me, and then B, this opportunity to work for a startup that was setting up in Europe, in Berlin, you know, which was kind of an a anti-decision almost to where a lot of the other startups were, were starting to, to grow. And I thought, this is an opportunity I can't miss. So... Packed my bags, got married, and right after the wedding, I flew directly here, and my <laughs> husband went to Munich, and then, yeah, and then we started uh, uh, a life here in Berlin. Very
0: exciting times. So it was it was a dynamic city in 2006 um, because it was still quite quite young in terms of the startup scene, the investor scene. But did you had that feeling it was a beginning of something great? Because today, if you compare Berlin, it's absolutely the epicenter of European startup scene. That's not questionable. But then, was it actually?
1: I didn't actually hear the term startup being used in Berlin at that time at all. On the contrary, I remember telling people when I met you know, new friends uh, that I was working for a startup, and they're like, "What's a startup?" It kind of, it was, it was a, a non non term. Um, and there were, I mean, there were obviously tech companies and, and scaling companies at that time. Mostly in, in the creative and music tech industry, you had like Native Instruments and Ableton. They were already you know well established here, but it was pre rocket internet days, so you didn't have this you know burgeoning ecosystem just yet, and. Frankly, I was, you know, very much focused on, on my role and on the company I worked for. And because we were North American uh, invested and the HQ was in North America, I didn't really pay attention to what was happening in the tech scene here in Berlin as much because my focus was a, a global focus. So I wasn't as uh, in tune to what was happening here. And I, you know, I I really loved the city not not really for its job opportunity, but it's for its like lifestyle opportunities. And I thought it was so incredibly vibrant, and it was attracting the most interesting people to the city. Um, and they weren't coming here for tech jobs; they were coming here because they wanted to live in a city that was just you know radically transitioning from one state into another. And I thought that was really exciting.
0: But then something uh, pulled you out of the city, and you left. To, yeah. back to Canada. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, we grew the company. Um, so Berlin was a very important growth and success factor for the company at the time. And then it was sold to uh, an American Seattle-based um, digital asset management company that was owned by Bill Gates. And and then it became, you know, very a very different type of organization. It wasn't the the startup that you had, you know, that big impact on. And then I had a child and I remember uh, pushing the buggy, the baby buggy through Kreuzberg and people yelling at me because I was on the wrong side of the street or people it felt really rough and and all of a sudden I was like, oh, is this the type of environment I want to raise a kid in or do I maybe want to go back to where I grew up in Canada um, and have that not only access to my family and being close to them, you know, family and friends, but living in a society that is maybe more community-oriented and, and open-minded, you know, and, and soft. I would just, I think I had, you know, after six years of Berlin, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm ready for a change again. So let's let's try this family thing in Canada. And so I went back there for six years. I had a great job uh, at the University of Waterloo, which is an incredible tech, uh, you know, engineering STEM university. And uh, and built partnerships for them for the um, for the entrepreneurship center and the business school there and uh and then realized after a few years that yes this is great for my family for sure but i had the itch to go back to europe i was really missing berlin and missing the european lifestyle the access to all these different spots and uh yeah and so in 2017 early on in the year my husband and i said okay actually we were talking about this last night we made a conscious decision as we were eating tacos in Merida and the Yucatan <laughs> Peninsula. We're like, that's it this year. This is the year we're going to go back to Europe and we're going to go back to Berlin because that's still seems to be the right place for us. And so we did. We made it happen that year.
0: So you actually saw, it's interesting because you experienced the change of Berlin. And is it that as the city uh, transitioned into that hub but you also you didn't stay in the city because a lot of people who are present they don't see that how the city evolves but you actually you left and you came back mm-hmm. and what was the three things you said wow this is absolutely
1: new well a like super international all of a sudden it was a really cosmopolitan city i mean you heard spanish and turkish and french and english and mandarin on the streets and you didn't have that in 2006 2006 it wasn't a a global city in that sense so you desperate like you really really felt that a change had happened and it was like this magnet for international folks that was the number one most obvious thing b it became this startup hub, right? It became uh, an attractor of tech companies, large and small, you know, big companies, Amazon, Google, you know, eBay, all these companies had set up shop and then you had all the scaling companies um, and failing companies. So all of a sudden, it was this interesting, you know, vibrant tech scene. And then the third thing that was really important to me is all of a sudden you had a lot of really good food offers. <laughs> so right, the gastronomy yeah. <laughs> scene was like fantastic, really good restaurants. All of a sudden, I thought that was there was always a dearth of restaurants the first time I lived here. And clearly with this, you know, international push, the different kind of expectations and, and a different type of, uh, of resident of living here. It changed kind of the face uh, of, of the city, of course, also changed the food scene for the better.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with you because that was one of the reasons also to, to move from Hamburg to Berlin. It's vibrant. It's international, great cuisine. It's, that's it. <laughs> I'm staying here. I'm living here. Um, but it's interesting in, again, with 2006, how was networking then? Because I feel um, if we look, again, to comparing to today, it's difficult to compare to d- today because it's an exception to the rule. We live in the times of pandemic. But in 2019, everything was vibrant, networking, events, meetups, so many things happening. And networking became this transactional moment, the moment of not building relationships, but building opportunity, a business opportunity. How would you, w- was that the case Uh, for 2019 and was it different in 2006 because this is also before the iPhone was there yeah mentality was different
1: totally different mentality I mean building relationships pre like that entire digital (laughs) transition was different you know I mean I worked in in contributor and artist relations for this for this tech company and so I was dealing with people who uh, whose entire careers and industry was radically transitioning and was being completely disrupted by the digital age. So it went from being like an analog photography business to everything being digital and online. You know, the their incomes had, you know, radically shifted as well. And so you had to build relations and build trust in an environment where people were already very un- unsure about what's happening with their future. And so you did that in person a lot and you didn't have like obviously video calls and any of this stuff. So you did that either in person where you could or you'd have, you know, very lengthy phone calls with people across the globe. And so it was it was much, you know, a much slower process, obviously. To now, it felt maybe less opportunistic, but also perhaps because I was younger and I had I was very, you know, I had to. Build these long-lasting relationships. So, um, so I focused on 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 the trust factor really, a lot um, to to bring people along into like what was a whole new digital era. And now, I mean, now the city is just like it's it's so vibrant, it's so full of opportunity. There's so many interesting people here. It's it's a joy to you know to meet people all the time. And I think people are much more open now than ever before. I think that because of the influx of people from across the globe, a new mindset has established itself in this city um, and a really positive one, whereas people, you know... Maybe a few years ago, especially in 2006, but even somewhere in between would not necessarily have responded to like a cold email, you know, or an introduction or people weren't willing to do intros for you if, you know, there wasn't a clear opportunity there. And I think with this, like, you know, kind of North American, hey, let's grab a coffee or... You need to talk to her because she can help you here. That has definitely changed here in Germany, um, and certainly in Berlin. I don't think Berlin, it's, it's yeah. probably not the same in, in you know, Nuremberg or in Herzogen Aurach. But um, but in Berlin, that the, the global mentality and that mindset has definitely shaped the way that people build relationships and how they communicate and just the sheer access to to people that you can get here.
0: Yeah. Absolutely agree with that. It's um, it's building relationships on the new level, but it's also how easy it is, as you said, to make an intro, to just show ent- enthusiasm and interest and the doors are opening up for you. And I, I love that about the city and that's what it makes things possible here and driving things forward. However, I have a feeling in 2020, it also switched into, into a, a way that people started to really value those professional relationships it it didn't become anymore a network a quick event uh, chat but it actually became something of an email exchange where people send each other a message you know i hope you're well i hope you're doing well and let's you know let's really catch up over a coffee and have a conversation and it's not only business oriented but also personal oriented suddenly
1: everyone has been affected by what's happened in the last you know 10 months 12 months so i think that people have become much more sensitive at least i feel like that in in my group of friends and and contacts that people are definitely more in tune to to other people's well-being there're a lot of people out there that are suffering right now people have obviously lost their jobs their companies have had to shift or have maybe gone out of business a lot of people you know in the creative industries that are you know no longer able to pursue their their careers and it's left Everyone, you know, very sensitive to to their environment, and I think that's a good thing. It's a great reset for us as a society, and as you said, I think people are are now more than ever willing to help each other out. I've like never felt so empowered and 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 useful as I have this year. I think it's a combination of having achieved a lot of the goals that I set for myself, but I also think it's that I, I've been able to be more present here in Berlin because you know you're not asked to go attend this conference or or fly here for a meeting that probably could have happened on a on a call anyway, and so um, you spend a lot more time reflecting and, and observing.
0: And if we go back now uh, to Canada, because I would like to, there was a something, there was a reason why you came to Berlin, and also a great opportunity, which was uh, chief relationship officer opportunity at Factory Berlin. Um, I remember you, we spoke about the process and it was uh, hilarious how um, you know, the, the interview process went on the weekend and you, it was a full day, full weekend where you spoke about this and then you decided on point, okay, we're coming to Berlin.
1: Yeah, it was uh, probably the most uncanny uh, interview process I've ever experienced. Um, Again, we decided we wanted to to make the shift back to to Berlin, and because the scene had changed so much, I wasn't really in tune to what was happening here. And uh, and I, I contacted this uh, this friend of mine who, with whom I had scaled the the startup that I previously mentioned, and I said, "Listen, what's going on in Berlin? I mean, obviously, so much has changed, and and who are the movers and shakers, and what do I need to be you know in tune with?" and he said well i've actually you know left the space but there's some great things happening um and there's a place called factory berlin and a crazy guy named udo schlömer who started it and uh you know just have a chat with him i can i can do an intro and i was like wow okay that's I'd never heard of that happening in Germany before. Like that's a very thing that I was accustomed to from North America. And uh, and literally uh, his assistant r- responded to my email within a few hours. Um, I was on a phone with him the next day and, uh, and you know, he spoke for about, 95% of the time. And, and then I was like, okay. And then he said at the end, well, this is great. I really like you. And I thought, well, I barely actually said anything, but this is uncanny. Okay. And he said, I think you should come to Berlin to check out you know, what we're doing here. There's great opportunities. Maybe this is something that's interesting for you. And I was blown away by his enthusiasm. And I said, listen, next week I'm actually in Hong Kong. And then the next few weeks, uh, this is a bit challenging because I have some programs I'm running. And then he's like, okay, fine. Um, well, then I'll come to you. I'll just come to Canada. And I was like, who is this crazy person? <laughs> like, what do you mean you're coming to Canada? And literally three weeks later, he and his wife flew to Toronto. They spent two and a half days in Waterloo. Uh, I showed him or them around um, the ecosystem, introduced them to you know influential and interesting people at the university, at the Institute for Theoretical Physics at, you know, an innovation center, much like a factory. Um, And, uh, and then we just had dinners and a lot of talks and, and, you know, dreams and talking about things like outside of our our businesses, uh, you know, about art and culture. And and it was such an intense, insane weekend. (laughs) And then two weeks after that, I came here for a few days and I, I got to see the city and I got to see a factory Berlin and I was like, this is just incredible. This feels really right. I know it's going to be harsh. I know it's going to be a, a roller coaster, but it felt, it felt really cool. And I thought this is the great opportunity and literally came home, you know, did a, a powwow with my husband to think about it. And a few days later we told our daughter and six weeks after that, like literally six weeks after that decision, we were back on a plane here and like packed up, put everything in storage Uh, We're trying to sell our house and move back here. So, I mean, I sometimes think we're insane for doing these things so radically. But I think, uh, you know, I'm not an entrepreneur myself, but I'm so curious. And I think that if these opportunities, you know, fall out of the sky or somehow you manifest them, you have to like take them. You just have to go for it, like jump into that cold water and and see if you can and swim and not have a heart attack and uh, yeah and it was a great decision because you know it really made me uh, a happy happy person and like this this role is incredible.
0: Could we speak about this role and also a little, a little bit about Factory Berlin?
1: Yeah, I mean Factory Berlin is the largest curated uh, community of uh, innovators of creative technologists. In Europe, so we have a model whereby what we do is we incentivize collaboration and we create an environment where people can co-create. They can design the future and they basically uh, pursue their entrepreneurial ambition, regardless of what their background is and of what their age. So our youngest member is twelve years old. Our eldest wow. member is probably somewhere above sixty, and they have uh, you know a wide breadth of backgrounds from again students to. Uh, you know, university students that are studying interaction design or software engineering, all the way to you know freelancers and solopreneurs, investors, entrepreneurs, startup teams. We have about 150 startups uh, within the community, and up uh, through the corporate scale as well as as strategic partners. So it's a very um, rich, rich community of of people that really want to push the dial really on uh, on what's happening in terms of. Of, of starting uh, endeavors here in Germany and like kickstarting activities. So that's our that's our role. And that's our purpose is to create that that environment for for connectivity and for collaboration. And my role specifically is focused on um, building the partnerships globally for Factory Berlin, crea- creating visibility for what we do and attracting talent into into our community. So a lot of, you know, networking, of course, a lot of Partnership negotiations, identifying what is uh, what is needed for our community to grow and become even you know richer, um, and you know what is is that in the form of mentorship programs? Is that in the form of bringing in more investors into the network uh, or more young talents? So it actually it's quite fluid; it changes, you know, especially in the last few months, it's probably changed a lot. But it, it changes at any given time depending on what we see as an opportunity and what needs to to be enhanced.
0: What are your plans for 2021?
1: We are going to grow as a company. We want to expand in terms of locations. So we'll be uh, establishing our first um, location outside of Berlin and growing the community there and then connecting it back to what's happening here in Berlin. Also, essentially, just continue to create that visibility about what we do here and, and bring in more opportunities. I mean, I really would like to see... Uh, us more and more as that landing pad for international startups that come to Germany and that need to tap into a, a cohesive ecosystem. And we've seen that recently, like we've Bolt and Gorillas have joined the community a few oh, really? months back. Yeah. And so now you see them on the ground, you know, they've got their investment rounds secured, they're expanding and growing. It's really exciting to see that and then see how we can help them in that growth phase of, of their
0: time. Just use gorillas. Yesterday's so. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Yeah, super quick. But when you look back, did you ever envision yourself as a chief relationship officer that you will be building communities, sustaining stakeholders, building partnerships? Was it something that yes, uh, you thought I definitely will do that in ten years? This is absolutely what what my professional life will look like. Or it was not the case. Yeah. No. It
1: definitely was. I don't think that uh, I knew that there was a job called chief relationship officer out there. I actually don't know if it's a proper term, but who cares at the end of the day? I mean, I've always been, um, I've always been super, uh, like the super networker, and I'm like very curious to meet people. So at a young age, I wanted to travel a lot because I wanted to meet people from different backgrounds with different mindsets, it was always really, really important for me. And so I thought, what kind of a profession can I have that would fulfill that? And, you know, the earliest formal thing I could recall was being a diplomat, because we also had friends of the family who were diplomats. And I remember every time we saw them, we saw them, they lived in Bucharest. And then all of a sudden, they were living in New York, and then they moved to Rome, and then they were in Hong Kong. And I thought, holy shit, this is an exciting job. Like you get to move around, you have to build relationships from scratch time and time again. I thought that was a really cool thing. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I started my my career, and I worked in, you know, comms and marketing, and then, you know, become a bit more concrete with sponsor acquisition, but all of my roles had some form of, of partnership or network building in, in them. And if they didn't, I made it part of them. So like, I, I kind of always tried to build it around my profile. And I think this role that I have right now or the, you know, the the network that I've created is really because I have put like all my chips on the table on that. And I'm like, this is what I, I think I'm really good at. This is what I like to do. I mean, at the end of the day, if you enjoy what you do, then ostensibly you should be successful in it. So so I really have shaped my my profile and, and my job based on what I think I'm, I'm good at. No one wants to see me in the accounting department or you know, <laughs> in the in the IT department, for sure. No. So. Yeah,
0: but you would say so. It was a gradual path towards this uh, where you are right now. It was not nothing. No drastic changes in terms of.
1: No drastic changes. I mean, everything. You, it, you know, we're like trees. You know, we keep on layering. Every experience is a layer in your life, and then you you fine tune it more and more, and then you hopefully get to a point where you've identified. An organization, and and maybe you know mentors in those organizations, or people that are willing to like give you an opportunity, and and they don't care about you know what is you know maybe necessary, but they they shape roles or they give you the the leeway to do that. And I think if you get into uh, a position like that, that's you're like it's it, you're super lucky. It's fortuitous to have the opportunity to. To do something that is really based on what you're good at and you enjoy, and you don't have to
0: drudge yourself to work every day. Does it mean we should uh, ignore our weaknesses and not work on them?
1: Oh, good question. <laughs>
0: I don't think it means
1: that at all. I just think um, you should, you know, focus on focus on the positive, focus on what you enjoy doing, and then y- you become successful in that. I mean, you can always improve your your weaknesses or. Learn more, and so you should. But at the end of the day, I mean, those—I don't think you'll be able to get to the point where that weakness that you can level it out so much that it's going to propel you to the next level. So why don't not focus on what you're really good at and try to, you know, continually build out that specific skill?
0: That's a great advice. And what makes a great relationship manager and how would you define it? Because is it a calling? Is it something that falls into the character of a person and they are meant to be a relationship manager? Or it's something a person can learn? Well, A, you
1: have to like people and you have to like (laughs) spending a lot of time with people and communicating with people and listening to people. So I think those are the character traits you should have if you want to get into, you know, a relationship management type or any type of stakeholder relations role, right? Yes, you can, you can learn some of those, but I, you, know, you have to have an innate interest in other people and then understand how to connect the dots. That's the other thing. I mean, the one thing is you know, listening to, to what people need or want or are good at, but then you have to be able to connect that with another opportunity for them or for yourself or for a third party in order for it to become a truly successful
0: And how is it sustaining the relationships uh, in this digital lives that we have without meeting people in person? Is it more challenging? Yes and no. I mean, it's,
1: I think it's given me more time to focus on a more limited amount of uh, of people. I do think it's challenging if you don't have face-to-face time. I think there's a lot of trust uh and information and just like emotion that that is lost if you you don't have that physical access and you know with all the efficiencies that we say we've created with you know the the digital tools that we use and and you know spending time in a more focused manner i i firmly believe that we're losing out on a lot of information that uh that you would perhaps read from social cues from communication or reading between the lines when you're, you know, able to look into someone's eyes or, you know, see whether they're flustered about something or understand if they're sad, you know, you can hide a lot of those things on a screen or even worse, if you don't, you know, <laughs> if you don't have your camera on. So, um, so I do think it, it has affected how how we, you know, maintain relationships. And I certainly hope we can get back to some normalcy where we have both worlds where we can be super efficient and not have to, you know, pollute our environment by flying, you know, to all these meetings, but still have places where we can congregate uh, and celebrate and and communicate.
0: Yeah. And how how would you see um, Berlin? Because we speak about coming back to normal, but can we actually, will there be that normal? Or is it going to be uh, this new Post-pandemic Berlin and life, which it's hard to imagine right now, but we have to adjust. Um, it's mm-hmm. not going to go back to as it was in 2019. Let's say, um, what do you think would will be different, and also as an opportunity for new businesses, new beginnings?
1: Well, you're asking that of a city that probably has had to question itself in that same manner, you know, time and time again in 1919, in 1945, in 1962. Berlin is a, is in a city 19, for the crisis. Know, it's like... <laughs> exactly. I mean, yes, let's ask that question again. What is Berlin going to look like post-pandemic? I mean, I, this is a city of resilience. This is a city that has constantly had to reinvent itself, has had to survive, has been, you know, put the brink of friction between, you know, socio-political blocks so this is a city of reinvention and i hope that it'll be just as exciting and edgy as it always has been in every different phase but it'll be a different type of city um I, you know and it will continue to attract different types of people people that move to berlin are the same people that traditionally would move to like london or new york why does the blockchain space here? Why is it so vibrant? Why have all these like pirates moved to Berlin? You know, it has because the city attracts a certain type of person. And I and I, I think that will always remain. I mean, it was like that in the 80s. It was like that in the 90s and the 2000s. And in the 220s, again, it will attract a, a
0: different, edgier type of, of person. We're all a little bit extra here in Berlin. That makes me, when you spoke of pirates, I'm like, okay, this is how I'm going to define myself. (laughs) (laughs) There's also, you know, in 2020, we spoke that many people faced failures and many things didn't start off. Um, Startups couldn't find investments. They couldn't envision their dreams and make, make things work what advice would you give to those who failed in 2020 and maybe they are not sure if they should start again they're not sure if they have that capacity and energy but perhaps they should they should still give it a try in 2021
1: i mean if you're a startup and a founder i don't think you'll ever not start up and 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 try again i mean if you're if you're willing to do that once or twice already you know that it's a hard slog one way or another and so, yes, 2020 threw like a massive curve curveball. Um, but there are lots of examples out of, uh, there of companies that that raise, that have done ridiculously well, and take those as an example, you know, and um, go into 2021 with the same enthusiasm as you went into 2020, not knowing what was going on. I mean, we are living in a, in a world that is so precarious and so, you know, p- potentially unstable that... We have to deal with that, so you have to be resilient one way or another, regardless you know what, of what your profession you have. And as a startup founder, you have to be specifically resilient and be able to like deal with with that changing environment all the time. And if you don't adapt or recognize that you have to adapt, then you know you will become obsolete.
0: How can one train that resilience? Because this is also something that you need to learn. Yeah, I, I get this question often, and I,
1: I think I change my answer <laughs> often as well, depending. I mean, I remember when I was working at, at the university and, and surrounded by these these students' founders, I was just amazed at how hardcore, like super resilient, super hardworking, and I thought, this is incredible. Like, they are real hustlers, real hustlers. And I remember moving back to Germany, I'm like, it's not something that I recall describing a German, you know, as, as being, you know, super risk friendly and going out there and, and trying it on their own, you know, it was more of the culture of, okay, I'm going to get a solid education that's paid for by the government, then I'll get, you know, my first jobs, you know, in a stable, large German company or a Mittelstand company, and then I kind of have my, my clear path. Like Germany has never exuded kind of entrepreneurial grit for me. But at the end of the day, all those big companies were, you know, started by someone uh, as well. So nowadays, I think there's more sense of entrepreneurialism in Germany, and there's more openness towards it, thanks to what's happened in Berlin, for sure. How do you get that into a founder? I think you have to start at a very early age. You have to start, you know, in grade six, seven, where you teach kids that, you know, doing your own thing is an interesting path to take and you shouldn't be afraid of it. And, and they should teach kids skills that are relevant in life and not just, you know, kind of setting themselves up for a traditional uh, academic uh, and career path. And so I think that having that mindset shift, you know, in, in the education system is the first place you need to start here.
0: Building that character uh, who's open to taking the risks and it's a safe environment to take the risks and you're encouraged to, to do that. I mean, if I think
1: back as a kid, like all the fundraising we had to do, like literally like the gymnastics club I was in, or, you know, I would go fundraise for the Cancer Society or multiple sclerosis. And like as a 10, I'm not lying, as a 10 year old, 12 year old, 15 year old, I remember going from door to door and literally pitching. To my neighbors, like, can you give me $5? Will you sign up for this cause? You know, our our soccer club it's, needs it's to raise funds. It's a young hands.
0: relationship manager in yeah, the making. but not, not
1: just me. I mean, that's what you did. You were part of a club. You were part of the Girl Guides, whatever it is. You do that. That's part of what you do in North America. That is community building. It's, you know, fundraising. It's doing good. And so I think that being out there, being a networker, being communicative, uh, you know, supporting other causes, pitching, presentations, all those things are kind of built into the system, at least in Canada, and I think to a certain extent in North America. And I, I see it with my, my daughter and her friends. They have a totally different communication style. So I do think that a lot of that is societal
0: and educational, and you can tweak that. It is a bit of a, a founder's journey is not an easy one. And you need to prepare yourself on many fronts, and you need to have a great support system, whether it's your family and friends, you need to be resilient. And just to have that character, that guts to go, as you said, you went into that cold water again and again, and you were open to that. Well, a if you're not able to push yourself out of
1: that zone, or you don't have the character, but you have the great idea, then find someone. I mean, that's, you know, the beauty of finding a co-founder, You have tag team, you have to find someone who has attributes that you don't have that can help you along that path. And I mean, that's, I think the best um, the best recommendation for founders or or people at the early stage with ideas is you need to surround yourself with really smart people that are going to help you move forward. So those first few hires, or you know not hires or or supporters, let's say, have to complement what you do and and build out um, build out your potential. And yes, of course, you have family and friends that that are always going to be kind and helpful, but that's not necessarily going to help you long because if you have your mama or your dad telling you, oh, honey, the best idea ever, and maybe (laughs) it's not the best idea ever, maybe you need someone to be more frank and honest with you uh, because that's going to help
0: you. As I'm thinking to wrap up our conversation, um, I would like us to finish up on a very positive and a hopeful note Mm -hmm. uh, because I, I strongly believe that every new year is despite of all the difficulties and uncertainties, it's a possibility for individual growth. It's a possibility, it's an opportunity um, that you can start something and do something. How do you for yourself see that opportunity? How do you, what excites you about 2021? I set some goals for myself and I think it's
1: um, important that everyone should set goals for themselves, personal or professional goals, regardless, or health goals, um, and so uh, I look to 2021 with much optimism because I, the goal I set for myself for the latter half of, of this year and you know into next year I achieved. I wanted to be part of a, a supervisory board of a purpose-driven organization. And I just found out yesterday that I was accepted <laughs> onto that board. So I'm very happy and excited. And so um, I'm going into 2021 really um, uh, thoughtful and excited about it because I think that it's um it's something that I want to put you know my energy behind in addition to all the other initiatives and and job and personal life and so with that focus, I can become more of a fulsome person. I think it sounds terribly cheesy, but as you age you're like, <laughs> what what is it that's going to make me you know feel more and more satisfied and whole and um and everyone is you know has different objectives of course and uh, and for me, I just r- recognized that I wanted to, to step out of my comfort zone in a lot of, uh, lot of places and, and try something new and give back into, into different types of organizations.
0: And as we know, women are authors of achievement. Mm-hmm. Who would be a role model for you? Who would you define as an author of her own achievements, a woman?
1: only one <laughs> <laughs> there I could have, be a few I have many throw it in throw, I mean throw, this, throw year, the names this in. year I think this year has been incredible um for for women it's uh this year I've seen women step uh up to the plate and like into spaces like never before and there's two that come to mind one uh personally uh, personal friend uh Lubomila Jordanova she's the um Founder of a startup called Plan A Earth and also the co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance. And uh, she is just, she's everywhere. She doesn't say no. She just takes opportunities uh, and builds her profile and builds um, uh, awareness to to the cause and to sustainability and reduction of uh, everyone's carbon footprint. And I I admire her so much because she seems to have endless energy. And then the other one that comes to mind um, is Verena Pausta, who... Has also just like taken so much positive space and been, uh, you know, has identified where the government and the education system and the state has failed. And she has stepped into that space and created incredibly powerful initiatives and shown us all that it's possible. So there are no excuses. We all need to do something when we see that, you know, the system is failing us. And I think identifying women and men uh, that, that, are uh, stepping up and into uh, into the space um, is really important, and we need that visibility. So I also applaud what you're doing because um, we need more role models out there, and, and there are many, but we just need to expose them,
0: give that visibility, and have those conversations that bring insight uh, to the audience and bring some guidelines, life guidelines that we're all looking for to. Perfect. Thank you so much, Catherine, for coming over and uh, we speak to each other soon and have a great day. Yes. Thanks. You too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa_berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening. And we're looking forward to being back soon.